I know that Tim was exceedingly nervous. Um, one of the things that I know he had written down and had meant to communicate perhaps a little bit more poignantly was that on, that, on this past Easter Sunday, uh, his first time coming to church, he, he had no idea what to expect. Um, he was fearful. He was intimidated. He didn't know what he was doing here. And the way, he, the way he articulated was, in spite of all of that uncertainty, God met him here and saved his life. And um, it, was, it was powerful to hear that testimony and uh, very powerful to see um, this proclamation of the gospel, both in Tim and, and Shauna. Well, I want to invite you now to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 13. We're going to continue to make our way through John's Gospel. Two days ago, um, the brother of one of our former members took his own life. And um, it was another reminder that for many who have been a part of Emmaus Road Church, the storyline of their lives has at some point included suffering hard things. For some, their suffering has been unusually profound. And for some, their suffering has been unusually prolonged. But as we have shared and listened to one another's stories, a common refrain has been a fellowship and a faith that is forged in the crucible of painful things. That is not something that I find to be odd. Um, We have aimed to take the Great Commission very seriously. And uh, in making and multiplying disciples of the nations, friends, it is no kid's game. Um, It is costly. All hell is organized against it. And therefore, it will only be achieved through great sacrifice and inevitable sorrows by those whose faith has been tested by fire. Evil as a friend of mine says, evil is anything and everything opposed to the fullest display of the glory and majesty of Jesus. And in the death of Jesus, which baptism in part symbolizes, the powers of darkness and hell did their worst to destroy the glory of the Son of God. And therefore, it's fair to say that the murder of Jesus, it's the pinnacle of evil. It is the worst act ever committed. But instead of putting an end to the glory of Christ Jesus, Satan found himself fulfilling the script of of ancient prophecy. Everything in this book points to that act. And 
Satan found himself acting as God's appointed role, in God's appointed role for him in the drama of redemption. So the point is, is that in putting Jesus to death, Satan succeeded in putting Christ's wisdom and Christ's power and Christ's justice and Christ's mercy on display. Listen, God did not just overcome evil at the cross. God made evil serve the overcoming of evil. And that is awesome. The pinnacle of evil achieved the pinnacle of Jesus' glory. Now, in this sermon, my my goal is to show you that. I want to show you that from the text today. And I want to show you how this truth can make our faith strong in the midst of breath-stopping sorrows and to make our faith bold in the face of very dangerous opposition. The purpose of God's word to us in this text is to sustain our faith in our darkest hours, whatever those might be. So please follow along. I'm going to read our text, John 13, 18 to 30. I I want to start back just a couple of verses. So I'm going to begin in verse 16. Hear the word of the Lord. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he, truly. Truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. And so when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. And then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. 
And Jesus said to him, what you're going to do, do quickly. Now, no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. This is God's holy, faith-building word. Let's pray together. Father, you have uh, spoken so clearly and powerfully to your people. You have a word for those who belong to you, who walk through dark times, who live through calamities, who, who endure opposition, demonic opposition to their faith. Lord, this is a, a fellowship of uh, fellow strugglers. And we know, we know that we need you. We know that we need what you have to say to us. We know that we need more than what flesh and blood can supply. We need, we need you to Breathe life into us. We need you to bring your healing presence and power, your saving work to bear and to apply it to, to our lives and to our souls and to our thinking and to our, our being. So, so magnify the goodness and magnify the greatness and magnify the truth of what you have accomplished in and through our great Savior, Jesus Christ. In His name we pray, amen. Well, the Apostle John ends verse 30, the little phrase, it was night, highlighting the fact that <laughs> it was dark, but it was a, uh, it was a dark hour in more ways more ways than one. It was the darkest hour for Judas Iscariot as God gave him over to his sinful passion. It was the darkest hour for Jesus as the hour of his death, the hour he knew would come, had finally arrived. It was the darkest hour in all of history as Satan himself claimed a momentary but false victory. But the main point of this passage is not that the murder of Jesus is history's most scandalous, spectacular sin. The main point of this passage is not that Satan's most evil act could ruin the saving purpose of God in the death of his son. Rather, the main point of John chapter 13, verses 18 to 30, is that history's most spectacular sin and Satan's most hateful act actually, actually fulfilled the saving purpose of God. 
the main point of this text is that God takes the worst sin and the darkest demonic act and he forces them to work together in his service in order to accomplish the salvation of the world. Or to put it more simply, what Satan meant for evil, God intended for good. In his sovereign dominion over all things, God conquered sin through sin. Again, this is just astonishing. How did he do it? Well, let's look at it. Let's look first at Judas and his scandalous sin. Really, the focus of this passage, John 13, 18 to 30, is, is Judas' betrayal of Jesus. If, if the brutal murder of the Son of God is, in fact, the most heinous crime the world has ever seen, then, as one commentator writes, the most despicable act in the process of this murder was the betrayal of Jesus by one of his closest associates, Judas Iscariot. Look again, starting in verse 18. Jesus says, I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen. I know the ones who belong to me. I know the ones who are mine. I know the ones whom the Father has given to me before the foundation of the world. But the scripture will be fulfilled. In other words, one of you is not mine. He who ate the bread has lifted his heel against me. Verse 21, after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. So, so the most spectacular sin in all history was about to be committed. The darkest demonic act was about to happen. And as a man, it was overwhelming to Jesus. That grave statement, one of you will betray me, it appears to have caught this circle of disciples by surprise. They didn't see Judas' betrayal coming. They look at each other, they're thinking like, who would do such a thing? Who in this circle would do something like that? But Jesus knew all along who would turn against him. And in verse 26, he says to the disciple, the one referred to here as the one whom Jesus loved, he says, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I've dipped it. And so when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. And then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into Judas. And Jesus said to him, what are you going to do? What you're going to do, go ahead now. Just get it done with. Get it done with. So betrayal by its very nature, is, uh, it's shocking. You, you don't see it coming. Judas had walked with Jesus, talked with Jesus, 
you know, camped out with Jesus, served alongside Jesus, ate with Jesus. He proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom with Jesus. He healed the sick and cast out demons, prophesied in the name of Jesus. He was even entrusted with the team's finances, most likely by Jesus. But Judas did not love Jesus. He loved money. According to John 12, verse 6, he was a thief. He was embezzling their funds. But Judas' most heinous sin was not betraying Jesus' trust and colluding with those who had been making the you know, false allegations against Jesus in order to marginalize Jesus and ultimately do away with Jesus. Judas' more serious collusion was with Satan. John chapter 13, verse 2. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray him, Verse 27, after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. To be clear, Satan does not take innocent people captive. He takes captive those who are spiritually dead. Shauna read this text earlier, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. It says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. Satan. Spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Satan. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind like the rest of mankind. So demonic inroads happen where sinful passions hold sway. And so, loved ones, beware. What sinful passions hold sway over you? Keep watch over yourselves. Keep watch over your brothers and sisters in Christ. It's possible. It's impossible. It is possible to love sin and hide it with a fake relationship with Jesus. Trust the Lord and act this miracle of a lifestyle of tender-hearted repentance. So Judas and his stunning sin. Here's the second part of the text, and it has to do with Satan's... This, this is... Uh, evil act that is kind of it's really the, the pinnacle of all of Satan's evil acts. The question is, why would Satan lead Judas to betray Jesus? You ever think about that? I mean, certainly Satan knew that the death and the resurrection of Christ would be his own ultimate undoing. He knew that, right? Must have known that. I mean, that's, that's why Satan consistently sought to turn Jesus away from the cross. The whole point of the temptations of Jesus in the wilderness it, um, was to, it, don't take that path of suffering and sacrifice, Jesus. Save yourself from death 
Jesus. Use your power and authority to escape suffering, Jesus. I mean, if you're really the Son of God, show your divine authority to rule and reign without, without, without humiliation and pain. Just don't go to the cross, Jesus. That was the temptation. When Jesus predicted his own suffering and death, this is in Matthew 16, 22, Peter pushes back. He says, oh, far be it from you, Lord. Far be it. This shall never happen to you. I'm not going to let this happen to you. And what did Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance to me. You're not setting your mind on the things of God. In other words, Satan's aim and purpose from day one was to hinder Jesus from going to the cross. Because it was there that Jesus would disarm him. Disarm him. According to Colossians 2.15, at the cross, Jesus would put Satan to shame. Satan didn't want Jesus crucified because it would be the end of him. And yet here is Satan entering Judas and stirring him up, inclining his heart to betray Jesus and bring him to the cross. It seems that when Satan found that his attempts to turn Jesus away from the cross were in vain, he became suicidal. And he turned all of his attention to making Jesus' death as horrific, as shameful, as soul-crushing as possible. This was not going to be just a death. This would be death by betrayal. This would be death by abandonment. This would be death by denial. This would be death by torture. One commentator writes, If he could not stop it, Satan would drag others into it and do as much damage as he could. So part one is history's most scandalous sin. Part two is Satan's most heinous act. Now let me draw your attention to one more. This is the third part and crucial to putting things together. And that is God's providence in the murder of his son. So, like all human suffering, there, there's, a, there's a human dimension and there is a dark and demonic dimension. But what about God? Where, where is God in the darkest hour? Where is God in our darkest hour? What is God up to in the darkest hour of all history? Let's ask him, because he has something to say about what he's up to, what his presence and power and providence are up to in the death of his son. Listen to how God has addressed this and spoken into this reality. Beginning in Matthew 21, verse 42, Jesus said to them, now he's going to be quoting God's word, right? He's going to quote God's word from Psalm 118.22. Have you never read in the scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? 
This was our Lord's doing. And it is marvelous in our eyes. John chapter 15, verse 25. Jesus again is quoting God's word. What God has spoken in Psalm 35, 19. The word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. Here's what it is. They hated me without cause. Matthew 26, verse 31. Jesus again is quoting God's word in Zechariah 13, 7. Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night, for it is written, for God has spoken, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. John 19, verses 34 to 37. This is now the Apostle John. He's referencing God's word, what God has said back in Psalm 34, 20 and Zechariah 12, 10. One of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear for these took, things took place that the scripture, God's word, might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. And then we come to our text in John chapter 13, verse 18. Jesus is quoting God's word in Psalm 41, 9, saying, I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture, God's word, will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. Matthew 26, 24, Jesus again is quoting God. He says, the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. Matthew 27, 9 to 10. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, who is just God's mouthpiece. Saying, and they took 30 pieces of silver, the price of him on whom a price had been set by some of the sons of Israel, and they gave them for the potter's field as the Lord directed me. These are just, these are just the references of what God has said through his word in the Old Testament. Listen to what Jesus himself says, foretells before it happens down to the detail of how he's going to die. This is Mark 10, 33 to 34. He says, The Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him, and after three days he will rise. So, what is... What does God have to say about his relationship and his involvement in the death of his own son? Well, at the very least, at the very least, we know that God saw it coming. At the very least, God saw it coming and did nothing to prevent it. But isn't it also clear that included in God's sovereign plan and purpose, His own Son would be rejected and hated and abandoned and betrayed and denied and condemned and spit on and flogged and mocked and pierced and killed 
according to God's own word. All of these were clearly and explicitly in God's mind before they actually happened. And they were all evil acts. All of them were sinful acts. And yet God ordained that these things would come to pass. According to Acts chapter 4 verses 27 to 28. Truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus. Whom you anointed. Both Herod, Pontius Pilate along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And it's in that that we see how it came to be that in History's darkest hour through humankind's most spectacular sin together with Satan's most hateful and heinous act. The global purpose of God in accomplishing the salvation of the world, yours and mine included, was fulfilled. What Satan meant for evil God intended for good. Loved ones, listen. God did not just overcome evil at the cross. God made evil serve the overcoming of evil. To the praise of His love, to the praise of His wisdom, to the praise of His justice, to the praise of His mercy, to the praise of His providence, God made Jesus, His dearly loved Son, who knew no sin, to be sin. To be subjected to sin. To be subjected to sinful people. To be subjected to Satan. In order that we who hope and trust in Him might become the righteousness of God. Declared innocent and free from condemnation. God turned the very worst things, the darkest things, into His servants to fulfill His purpose to magnify the glories of Jesus and to save sinners from every tribe and nation and language and people. God did this. And He did this so that in our dark hours, our darkest hour, maybe our not-so-dark hours, but kind of dark hours, He did this so that in our dark times when sin and Satan seem to have the advantage, we would know that God makes every trial, every dark and hurtful thing a servant and forces it 
to ultimately bring praise to Him and joy and eternal well-being to His people. Look again at verse 19. This is John 13, 19. Jesus says, I'm telling you this now, before it takes place, so that, this is the purpose now, so that when it does take place, you may believe. That you may believe that I'm He. The, the reason that Jesus is telling His disciples that, that He's going to be betrayed before He was betrayed, the, the reason, the purpose was so that His disciples faith would remain strong in the midst of their own breath-stopping sorrow. Jesus knew. He knew the fear that would come upon them, the disequilibrium that would just knock them flat. It would overcome them in that terrible, those terrible dark hours between His death and His resurrection. As much as He had forewarned them... They were shocked. And so his aim in this text, in this moment, in saying that little phrase, one of you is going to betray me. His aim was that his disciples' faith would remain strong in the midst of their own calamity, in the midst of their darkest hour. He understood. He understood. And so his aim was that they might not lose heart in the face of that coming calamity. His purpose was that they might remain bold and steadfast in the face of just dangerous, outrageous opposition that would come against them. And loved ones, listen. Jesus' purpose, as recounted in this text, remains the same for your faith and for mine in our darkest hours today. Verse 20. Truly, truly I say to you, whoever receives the one I send, receives me. And whoever receives me, receives the one who sent me. Who's the one he sends? It's those 11 he's going to send. And who are, going to, who are the ones that are going to receive those 11? Well, the succeeding generations, it comes down to us. We're the ones who are receiving their proclamation. So think about this. Put it together. In, in Jesus' darkest hour, in his own darkest hour, he was thinking about those who would receive those whom he sent. Loved ones, in Jesus' darkest hour, he was thinking of all those whom he had chosen. Chosen before the foundation of the world. On the night Jesus faced his own betrayal, his own abandonment, his own trial, with all the lies and false allegations intended to bring him to ruin. On the night he faced indescribable pain. On the night he faced his own death. Listen, on that night, Jesus was thinking of you and your darkest hour. 
Hebrews 4.15 says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So, what is, what's your dark hour? There are some here who When you got married, you never dreamed you'd suffer like you've suffered. You never dreamed you'd face singleness again. You never dreamed the one you loved and shared life with would turn on you and bring allegations against you that could end you. There's some of you here who never dreamed that people you trusted could do such harm to you emotionally, physically, psychologically. There's some of you here who never dreamed you could feel so alone, abandoned. Some of you here who never dreamed you would be the the focal point of such intense spiritual oppression. Loved ones, each and every one of us in this room will at some point face the dark hour of our own death. We will eventually all face, assuming that Jesus doesn't come back first, we're going to face that threshold of eternity. And if you are trusting Jesus, you can be sure that he knows that whatever faith, faith battle you are facing, he has endured them all. And he says to you, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm going to tell you here about the darkest hour in my life that's about to happen. I'm going to tell it to you before it happens so that when it happens, you will believe. Your faith will remain strong that I am he. I am who I am. And in me, in union with me, every trial, every evil, every dark night, I will make it a servant to fulfill my purpose and to do you good. Sin and evil, no matter how severe, can never frustrate the decisive Christ-exalting purpose of God. Sin and Satan do not just fail to frustrate God's purpose to glorify the Son in the lives of His people. They rather succeed by God's mind-blowing providence and wisdom in making all of God's purpose come to pass. (laughs) And it is this very truth It is this truth that God offers to His suffering people. It's this truth that God offers to all of us before the day comes. So that we might experience Christ-honoring strength in our calamities and Christ-honoring courage in our darkest night. Let's pray together.
Father, I would ask in Jesus' name that you would, um, by your Spirit, impart to us strengthen our inner being through your nearness or as we sang earlier I would ask that according to your word and your promise you would pour out your love into our hearts through the ministry, the the very present, current work of the Holy Spirit. Pray that you would fulfill the purpose of what you said to your disciples on that dark night. Pray that you'd strengthen our faith. Strengthen our faith to face calamities which we have not yet faced, to endure calamities that we are now walking through, to find recovery and redemption and reframing in calamities that we've already endured. And Lord, for the days of opposition which are maybe still to come. We're not naive to think that for those who are fully devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ and to walking in righteousness, there are evil days ahead. And we need backbone. We need firmness. We need resoluteness. We need strength. Strength that this world knows not of but is produced in the glorious truth that for those who know you, those whom you have called according to your purpose, those who respond to this call with love and faith, you cause all things to be subject to your purpose. It will not fail. It will never be frustrated. So Lord, we we look to you for these things. Trust you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand together.